right. Well, Nate, Matthew, I got a question for you here this afternoon. I will start off with what soundtrack do you have on repeat? If I had to answer, it's probably the Pride and Prejudice soundtrack. It's by a composer that's French, so I probably butcher his name. I believe it's Jean Yves Thibodeau. It's amazing. Good for all things. What about you guys? What's on repeat soundtrack wise? Boy. I'll, uh, uh, based on that face, Nate, I'll go first. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally fine. So uh, I'm a big fan of Hans Zimmer uh, as a composer, and we could argue for days and days about which is his best, but I will listen to the Hollis Holiday soundtrack every time it comes on. I want I'll that to be my I'm new favorite. <laughs> and watch that movie for the soundtrack. Yeah. I'm going to no. say, yeah. I'm going to say Disney, uh, and the reason why is I've got a family that absolutely loves Disney and all the songs, and so there's a constantly a Disney playlist going on throughout our house. Do you have a favorite right now song out of all of those? I don't put you on the spot, because no, if you don't talk I, about Bruno, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say it's probably some type of... Uh, Coco or uh, Encanto or one of those ones, right? Uh, just a lot Coco of good music there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Anyways, that got me distracted that I was like, 2022 replay. It was like Disney <laughs> yep. was one of your top things. And I was like, yeah, because it, I'm it, an it's, adult. It's, it's catchy and not uh, a <laughs> Disney princess, right? I am not a Disney princess. So. I don't know. You could be if you really wanted to be. I'm just saying. Be whatever you want. But awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We're sitting down. We're kicking off season two of the Tech for Business podcast. So thank you for joining us. For everybody listening in, I'm Kelsey. I'm moderating as part of our marketing team. And I'm sitting down with our director of cybersecurity, Nate, and our GRC analyst, Matthew. And they're going to be answering a question that came up during a customer conversation. They asked, I have backups, lots of backups. Why should I be worried about ransomware? That's such I, I, a wonderful question. <laughs> yeah, this is one where it's, and I totally agree with you, um, because it it shows that they're aware of what they have. There's possibly an assumption that, again, they think that they're safe because they have it. Yeah. And, you know, and why should they be worried? But then, you know, I think what, you know, we'll quickly find out is once you start breaking down backups, there's a lot of considerations and why CIT pushes so much um, importance on having strong backups. And then we'll get into the, what that lo actually looks like. But it is a great question, like you said, Matthew. Yeah, and and I agree with you. I, I think that the uh, the thing that question shows me is that while there is a, an, an over view understanding of what's going on we, we can really dig down into what each of these words mean as pedantically as we want to <laughs> and and <laughs> we really should um so in this case i have backups what backups do you have how many backups what type of backups are you doing full or incremental what's your solution is it cloud or is it local is it both we have so many questions that that come up from that sentence that say if you can answer on a deeper level about what your backups are, how they're safe, then you'll be able to answer that next question of why you should or shouldn't be afraid of ransomware. Because the backup that suits you and your business is, is different to the, the backup that suits another business. But more importantly, 
whether it suits you and whether it meets your needs for the risk that you have of ransomware is a completely different question again. So maybe you created and started using your backup solution 10 years ago. Has it grown with the times and the threats? Is it only protecting you against the ransomware you could have had back then? What about the newer types that are occurring now? Um, these are the questions that it brings up for me and I think is the way to answer that question of can you right now as you're listening, as you're listening, sorry, say what type of backups you have and the tools you're using and how they protect you from ransomware. Um, I know that since seeing this question, I've been thinking a lot about um, in times when I've seen backups that weren't suitable to uh, what the organization needed uh, and the consequences of that. Um, before I kind of get any further with that, uh, Nate, anything you want to add or jump back to? I know I covered a lot right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's great stuff there. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking of, even literally as we're starting this uh, episode here today, was I know you and I bounced some ideas right before this, but um, one of the things that actually come to mind, you know, and so again, talking about how potentially do we want to get into this, you know, the breakdown, but why should I be concerned about ransomware? What about other events, right? So, um, you know, I, I believe today we're going to talk really, really heavily about network backups, you know, server backups, that kind of stuff. But you could take this out into other services like email, you know, email archiving, that kind of stuff. And the reason why I wanted to quick bring that up is there are other cases of backups, for example, insider threats. I've seen people take data outside of the network. They emailed their personal email addresses. We were able to go find it in the email backup saying, here's everything that they emailed themselves. And then, you know, it's a pretty easy conversation with the lawyer at that point, um, you know, because it proves that there is malicious and intent. So, um, like I said, that's just a, a quick yeah. tangent, but it, it goes well beyond just um, the network side of things as well. So that was uh, a great way of, of calling me out on my own assumption, right? I had assumed the backups we we're talking about were network backups, but that's not the only thing that's impacted during cybersecurity events. So you have backups of what? What is backed up? The, these are the questions that, again, we should be asking and, and thank you for that. So um, one of the things that I, I like to say, um, and I think Nate's heard me say this multiple times now, is that not all backups are created equal. Um, this is pretty obvious right off the, the bat when you think back to the types of backups we used to see 10, 15 years ago. Um, people just plugging in an external hard drive and dragging copies over to it and then unplugging it and walking away as the safest backup that could be done at one point. Um, Windows Server Backup, which has been around since what? 2003, I want to say, <laughs> um, to some of the more specific things that we see now, which is, you know, encryption at risk and in transit, as well as um, uh, whether you're doing more specific things such as 321 backups, which I want to dig into a little bit, whether you're using cloud or air gap backups. And then finally, a thing that's, I'm not sure if I've made this term up or if it's actually real, but ransom aware backups. So backups that are aware that ransomware may be occurring and have implemented solutions to try and mitigate it or stop it from impacting your backups in the first place. Uh, there's so much to get into here. Yeah, the uh, 
I guess I'll, I'll probably start at a pretty high level and then we, we can start breaking it down. And um, CIT, oftentimes when we're talking to customers, we're talking the NIST cybersecurity framework. It's a, a nice, easy to understand framework for how to protect your organization. Um, there's five components to it. Identify, protect, detect, respond, and then recover is the final stage of that. Um, so this is just a continuation of that topic there. Um, and then one of the other things that I did want to mention is just because you have a tool doesn't mean you are safe right is uh, this is another thing that cit talks about fairly frequently is to have an effective solution whether it's backups or a, uh, a sim solution or multi-factor whatever it is there's a, a three different components that you have to consider is the technology the people and the processes that will set you up for success if you have a backup utility that no one is ever looking at and doesn't have the processes to actually validate that they work, you're not going to have an effective solution. And, you know, you can get down into the needs of the other ones as well. But just my main takeaway on that is you have to have people and processes that are well-defined and trained in order to ensure that the business is resilient for some type of impactful event. So, exactly. I, I think we're also, as part of this, having the backups is one thing, but knowing how they work, knowing how to use them effectively. Um, we, we may cover a little bit of disaster recovery or business continuity, and I know we've got other podcasts about that, but I'll, I'll tell a quick story about something that I saw happen with a, an organization I was with previously. Um, we had a a conversation with all of the technicians uh, in which we were talking about what our process was if something were to go wrong. And every single time it came to backups, we would say, we have the backups, we've tested the backups, and we've restored them to our demo environment. So we knew that it worked there. But it turns out that when we said, well, how do we restore to the prod? When we really dug into that question, no one at the table could answer that question. They'd never done it before. So the differences between restoring to the safe environment we'd already tested and restoring to our live environment was something that we that had never been considered or tested. And so the answers of how to do it were different. And no one was willing to say they knew because we hadn't ha we didn't have a process. And to be blunt about it, we didn't have the people who could have done it. Because no one wants to be the person that breaks all of that. <laughs> so uh, this is the when we come to these things that seem like common knowledge have backups right do they work can you restore it's not just the what does that phrase mean but it's have you gone through those those items that nate mentioned have you tested do your people understand it um can is there documentation so that you can do it even if the knowledgeable per, the most knowledgeable person who has done it previously on your team is away it's still possible I'm sure we've all got stories of being interrupted on our weekends <laughs> and holidays about exactly that. Yeah, I I think it would be fun to dig into a little bit of a we'll do some like tales from the trenches, right? Talking yeah. about when when backups <laughs> failed and especially especially surrounding ransomware, since obviously that's the topic. Um, we could I'm thinking we maybe get to that next. Maybe what we should do is just quick hit some of the core concepts of some of these backups i know matthew you really briefly glanced over them yep. um i guess i can maybe start with just talking about 
you have different backup solutions. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's cloud versus on-prem. There's maybe a hybrid between the both. Um, one of the big things is there's a lot of debate of, you know, do I store my backups in the cloud? You know, is it secure? All that kind of stuff. Um, often it, what it's recommended is you have a on-prem or on-premise solution that is doing the backup straight from your servers and then you offload that offsite and you know i can let matthew talk about the three to one framework a little bit um in just a second but the biggest thing is that if you have an on-prem solution it is potentially susceptible to a attack if a threat actor is on your network that's where the cloud solutions then come in but the challenge is with a full cloud solution is the speed to actually restore because you're going to have to pull the data down from the internet. And if you have a slow internet, uh, large servers, that kind of stuff, there's considerations to do there. This is oftentimes where you'll see a hybrid solution come into play is the long-term storage will be stored in the cloud if you need to go pull some of that. But the most recent snapshots will be stored on an on-prem appliance and then you can you know, re start restoring systems off of that while you're simultaneously pulling down cloud backups for the next server <laughs> in line, yeah. essentially. Um, that is one of the more preferred methods. Um, and then I'll let Matthew, maybe you, you want to talk about the three, two, one, and then we can talk yeah. about the, the concept of what immutable backups just at a high level, or, or if Definitely. you want to hit that one too. No, the uh, so one of the things you mentioned there, those tools, and I, I think that's a good place to start, right? There's the tools that we have now, the tools that are available, do a lot of these things by default. So when you get what is just calling itself a backup solution, you're getting a lot of these additional tools built in because they have had that conversation already. They know that that process is important and they've built it in. And so it can seem a little bit overwhelming, but know that those conversations and those tools exist for exactly this conversation we're having now. Um, so I, I've used a couple of these. Uh, I won't go into any one particularly, but I'll, I'll use one as an example. Um, and basically, actually, let's let's start with that framework. So it's called the 321 framework, which is this idea that you should have three backups using two different solutions. And solutions just means tools, software, however you're doing it. Uh, and then one of those should be disconnected from your local network. So whether that means it's in the cloud, whether that means you're keeping it locally or, or someone's, you know, safely and securely transporting that to a different location, uh, whatever you're doing, those are the items that are important. And if you're doing those, if you're following that 321 framework, you're cutting away all of the risk or as much of the risk as possible of those backups failing. So three different backups is pretty straightforward. It means up to two can fail and you've still got an additional backup. One failing is not uncommon, right? Backups are still technological. It could be any number of things happening on your network that stops a backup from succeeding. Sometimes it's that all the backups are trying to run at once. And so only one of them will succeed, <laughs> which happened or used to happen a lot more often than it does now. Uh, the next one is those two separate solutions. Now, this one is up for a lot of debate. I know people argue about this a lot. Um, there are a lot of tools that often claim they don't need a second solution. They'll do everything, but this is a peace of mind thing. So if you have two different solutions uh, running those backups and one of those solutions fails completely, your other one is still doing that backup as well. 
And then finally, we have the the cloud or air-gapped or non-networked backup. And this one is if something physical happens in the building. Or opposite, which not many people think about, is if something happens in the cloud, right? A lot of people do cloud-only backups now. They think they're creating that safety by not having it in the building. And in fact, they're creating a single point of failure, which is what if you can't get to the cloud? What if your internet's out? Uh, so that's the goal of the 321 backups is to keep that keep an extra point of failure for each of the items. Now, the tools that do this do this very specific ways. They do multiple backups at once. You can generally plan out when they occur to, to minimize. They plan how often they back up. Again, you can minimize impact to the network. They also do things such as encrypting the backups in, uh, in transit and in rest so that the backups on your PC can't just be opened and, and manipulated. You need the software or, or the encryption code as well. And then I mentioned it previously, but the uh, the ransom aware side of things is the part that I find the coolest. Uh, so one one vendor in particular that I've worked with previously has a, a setup within it that runs at all times. And if it notices that a, that a specific number, and I don't know the exact number of files on your PC have had their name changed in a certain amount of time, it locks the backup connector down and makes it impossible to upload things to the cloud. Now, that makes sense. And you're probably thinking about what if it's the middle of the workday and it's happening, which is when it's most likely to. Yeah, you're, you're probably not in a problem. But what if the backup's already started? Midway through a backup, ransomware gets installed and starts running. And it could be, depending on the type of backup you're doing or the type of backups you have in place, that the copy of your backup would include that ransomware. So that if you tried to restore, it would just start again. So these ransomware tools block that service from being able to upload. They save you from having a copy of that corrupted data in your system altogether. So those that's a, a couple of the items we had on here. Um, the last one I'll just cover quickly before I let Nate get back to the immutable is <laughs> the uh, the virtualization. So in the same way that we have to worry about um, on-site uh, versus cloud for where the backup's stored, you want to think about what you'd have to do if the hardware in the office or your internet were unavailable. Um, so say it is the ransomware has hit and has done everything it can do. It's taken down your network. No matter what else you have in place, just pretend it has. Where do you restore to? You've probably heard me go on about this in other podcasts. You're going to be dealing with forensics. You're going to be dealing with potentially police. You're going to be dealing with FBI, whoever it is that you're going through, your insurance at the very least. And they're going to have specific rules about what you can and cannot do. So you're going to need to get new hardware or restore to the cloud. The tools that you're looking for should cover this for you as well. Do they have a cloud? Uh, do they have a cloud solution for you to restore directly to the cloud and get back onto your system in minutes, hours, rather than weeks? And vice versa. Do you have spare hardware in the office so that if something like this happens, you can just restore straight to it? These, this information, and and Nate mentioned a big one that I just skipped over, which is downloading that data. How many terabytes of data do you have and how long does it take to down that, download that to your network if you're trying to run it locally? I've seen weeks pop up as a time frame to get that completed. It was quicker to get them to ship a copy of the data to us. So those are the things that I look for the most. Um, 
and and the tool you're looking for should cover that. And if you're looking at these things, and and I'll stop here before I go any further with it. But Nate, what what was the immutable backups you were talking about? Yeah, I was just waiting to let you stop spitting uh, good facts there. So, uh, no, great great content there. Um, immutable backups for you know if you've never heard this term, it's widely used in the backup community or you know solutions. All it means is that you cannot modify or alter the backups, um, which is the most critical thing, right? Is you don't want a threat actor getting out of the network and modifying a backup to make it unusable or maybe tampered with or whatever it is, right? Um, and as I start to say that, and as Matthew is talking, I was also thinking about another thing is, um, kind of going back to that original question, I have backups in my safe. Uh, as Matthew is also talking about the ransomware backups, is this isn't the extremely common, but we have seen it before, is a threat actor. They don't always just get in the network and just encrypt everything and move on. Usually what happens is a threat actor will get in and plant their remote access on these different systems. So that way, even if you do restore, it will respawn itself and try and get back in, right? So that's where some of that ransomware, some of those different security features layered on top of a backup solution. And then in addition to that is having a defense in depth approach to your overall network. So if you don't have some type of EDR solution to help identify some of these remote uh, a Trojan or remote shells um, to prevent some of those attacks before it becomes reliant on your backup and the security surrounding your backups, um, you have to have multiple layers of your security to ensure that something like that doesn't necessarily happen. So um, in terms of the immutable backups, some of the main things, you know, and we start talking about air gap, and I'm going to kind of breeze over this a little bit, but essentially making sure that it's inaccessible if a threat actor has access to that, especially because if someone has access to your network, They've compromised like a domain admin credential if they're on an Active Directory network. If your password is synced to access your backups, they already have all the credentials they need to log into it. We've seen this. We can uh, quick transition over to the tails from the trenches a little bit. Um, <laughs> but we've seen it where someone had a integration to just log into their backup solution with their normal admin account. Threat actor compromised that, went into the backups, made sure they deleted everything and then encrypted everything. Um, yeah. So making sure that everything has multi-factor in order to access your backups, and then it is completely separate credentials to be able to access that. So um, I'm going to quick transition to probably, this is actually uh, my first ransomware case that I ever dealt with. <laughs> and if I, I may. thought it was... Just Certainly. quickly, Nate. I just I just want to say I, I think yeah. I, I think from that we've covered the backup side of things. Um, yeah. So I just want to kind of give that a note of wanted to cover the next step, which is is it the right fit for you? Do you have the backups you need? Uh, and Nate and I have been talking about tales from the trenches and and stories that we throw at each other all the time whenever something pops up that reminds us of them. So again, it. There may, there's a lot of information we covered very quickly and we did gloss over some of it. So there, there's a lot more to read up on or ask, send it through to us. But yes, on to the, is it the right backup for you? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, transitioning to ransomware. We'll have Kelsey put in some uh, nice transition music or something <laughs> there. But the, uh, 
So my the first ransomware I ever dealt with, I was called out to a customer who they said, we have ransomware all across the network, all the PCs, the server, all that kind of stuff, right? Went out on site, um, their server, they only had one. It was a really small company. It was completely unresponsive. Um, I noticed that there was a hard drive, you know, sitting next to it, unplugged, um, kind of kept doing my thing. Noticed that you know, the server, it was not going to come back online and it, they would have to eventually do some type of restore. And I asked them, hey, was that hard drive plugged into the server uh, when this event happened? Well, yeah, it was. We unplugged it out of concern, right? Um, what I ended up discovering when I later plugged it into a, you know, a different device there that I could access it was the ransomware actually started navigating down their backup drive and started encrypting those files. Luckily, it encrypted the entire server itself and uh, shut it down before it could hit the most critical database on that server. That was their entire backup. It was plugged in actively because it was just running a script every day to copy files off of it. Um, and afterwards, I said, we would have shut down business if that database had been lost because that was our entire customer database and all the orders and shipping and everything. So um, th the main takeaway was that was they didn't have a air gap solution. They didn't have anything off premise that they could go pull back from. And then everything was again just copy pasting off of that hard drive. So it's slow to restore and everything like that. So um, that would be my main takeaway from that, that my very first ransomware case. <laughs> yeah, um, mine is is not very first. It's one of the ones that I, I saw the soonest. Um, it was a, a medical clinic that had been uh, uh, someone had clicked on something they shouldn't have. Ransomware had been installed and they were an admin in the system, which right off the bat. Regular users shouldn't have a daily driver that's an admin account, but uh, moving past that, uh, they'd they had a lot of multiple older systems that they had cobbled together to keep running. Uh, they had uh, multiple backup systems. They were doing what they thought was a full three, two, one backup. Um, at the end of each day, a employee unplugged the backup that had been taken throughout the day and took it home. Uh, they then replaced the one that they'd brought back that morning and they had, I think, five or so drives they were doing this with. Now, we mentioned before the, the multiple different steps that we go into, how, how all of these things chain together. And if you're missing one of them, you can you can result in in having bigger problems. And that's exactly what happened here. So they weren't testing those backups. So while they had they the remote backups that would be taken that were being taken off site hadn't completed in months. So they lost all the data from the last time up until the last time it succeeded, which was from my understanding, I, I didn't get the specifics, but at least a couple of months of data. Um, and that, that comes down to that validation side of things. Are you confirming they're working? Sure, they had them. They had the systems in place and they were supposedly working, but they weren't reviewing, they weren't confirming, and they definitely weren't doing tests to, con to ensure that they were coming back up or that they could do any of the restores that we just talked about. So that was one of the ones that really stuck with me. 
I was pretty recently into moving the cybersecurity space, and so it was it was very eye opening. Um, we were we were working as uh, consultants in that case to kind of review how it had happened and get to the bottom of it. So. Mm-hmm. Not not pleasant and definitely not a conversation you want to have to explain to someone as to why you weren't taking backups. <laughs> yep. I have one more that I wanted to touch on. And the reason why was the first one that I said was just a terrible situation, right? You know, plugging the hard drive into the back of the super old server. The next one that, you know, as Matthew and I were talking about, I wanted to call out because it was a customer that did nearly everything right. They had... The whole three, two, one solution. It was, you know, offsiting to the cloud. They had the on-prem appliance, being able to, you know, virtualize systems relatively quickly if necessary. Um, essentially, what happened was the the customer didn't have the virtual infrastructure properly segmented, so the threat actor was able to get into the virtual infrastructure and actually encrypt the entire virtual disks, not just the files that sit on a server. Um, I call that out because it's a really, really big issue for forensics uh, if the just the entire server is encrypted, right? Then we have to go down into the, the level forensics, uh, which is a whole different beast altogether. Um, but with the backup solution there, again, everything was to the cloud. They had the virtual one. Where the issue lied with this other uh, customer was they backed up too many servers on one appliance, and it was all their critical servers. Um, so this is one of the things that Matthew talked about a little bit at the start is business continuity and disaster recovery planning. Um, this customer, they had 10 or 13 servers that all needed to be online together because they all communicated together in order to have their solution operate properly. Now, when they were trying to restore it, their on-prem appliance either wasn't spec'd out for their long-term growth, or it just didn't have the resources as they scaled up these servers over time. So they could only virtualize two or three different servers. So at that point, again, they had the right solution, they just didn't have enough of those solutions. Uh, and I wanted to call out uh, is because, again, kind of going back to the original question, I have backups, Are am I safe? They were able to do a full recovery, it just took longer to do it because they didn't properly plan out what is my max downtime and can my backup solution accommodate that? So I know we're running short on time, but I've been I've mm-hmm. got this analogy that I really want to jump into um, very briefly, I promise. Um, so I, like I said, I really like the question, but it does build into the fact that backups are a small part of a much larger system that BCDR. I cycle, um, you guys know that. Um, and so I had this analogy of, of saying I have backups feels to me like sa- someone saying, hey, I need to go up the shops and you saying I have a bike. That's That's great. That is one way to get to the shops, but you've got so many other questions that build from it. What are you getting? How much do you need to carry? How far away is the shop? Uh, like, have you, we need to, is it just you going? Are you taking someone else? <laughs> like there's, there's a lot that builds from it that, that creates a larger, we're talking about the entire process of going to the shop, not just, is there a backup? 
we're talking about the entire process of is your data, are you prepared for an incident? Is your data going to be available after it's ransomware? Not do you have backups? So really, really like that question though. So I think I'll I'll end it with maybe two questions and then a statement, uh, and then I'll hand it over to Kelsey <laughs> to uh, wrap it up because I know she's probably saying, hey, get this thing moving <laughs> here. But um, my, my questions back to any listener here is, are you at least doing a full production restore test annually at a minimum? That would be my number one thing. Number two is, have you calculated the maximum amount of time that your business can be down without working backups, you know, or a working restore from those backups. If you haven't, you need to do that. And then I say the last thing is if you're not confident or aren't comfortable with what your backups are or you need assistance, at least to just glance over what the backups are and have some recommendations coming out of that, let CIT know. We are more than happy to assist with that. Um, it is such a critical component to your business to ensure that you are able to continue on and continue to be resilient. That's awesome. Thank you both. I've got to smile and nod. I miss doing this in between season one and season two that I was like, this was all great. Super content dense within a half an hour, which is amazing. I know my key takeaways were even if you have a backup, doesn't mean that ransomware doesn't affect it or isn't going to take you down. How much time does it take to restore? Right? I really liked the cycling analogy. So thank you, Matthew, for that because my brain works visually. And I was like, I can understand that. But just like Nate said, if anybody has questions, even if you're not in Minnesota or Wisconsin, we can get you connected with somebody that will help answer these questions because we know this is a lot to take in all at once. So if you have additional questions, either you want to get connected in a non-sales way or you want to hear us talk in a future podcast, you can reach out via email at info at cit-net.com or we do have a lovely form out on our website, everybody's favorite, cit-net.com backslash podcast. You don't even have to put any of your info. You can just drop an anonymous question and we will happily get that scheduled. But we will be back next week with another episode. Thank you both.